So once more, from the first letter of John, beginning at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make make a liar, and his word is not in us. My children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propition for our sins and not for ours only, but for all those that have and but also for the sins of the whole world. So concludes the reading of the word. Thank you. Welcome to Aerosmith Baptist Online. Uh, Let let me pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for us being able to be here together today. Um, I thank you, Lord, for your words, which are timeless. I pray, God, that uh, people would hear you and not me. And Lord, I also want to pray especially for the country of Israel, which is going through terrible violence again today, recently, particularly in the Gaza Strip. And I pray, God, for wisdom of their leaders and that through Uh, that conflict that you would be seen and heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so to start, I'd like to just briefly connect back to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, In our series on Nehemiah, we saw how Nehemiah led the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in effect, we're basically rebuilding their walk with the Lord. Uh, Their efforts were fantastic initially, and they were focused and determined to do right by God. And it was not long after the project was finished that they fell back into ruin and even invited their enemy to take up residence inside the temple. God's people, even today, despite building and growing and trying to be faithful, are incredibly fickle, and we quickly fall back into our old ways. As we read in Romans 7, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do, sorry, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me indeed? That is the subject of today's text. Our deliverer, Jesus, the King of Kings. And uh, just so you know, um, I'll be getting to today's actual passage in just a few moments few minutes, so I'll let you know when that time comes. 
But in order to further set up today's passage, I also want to connect back to 1 John verses 5-7. to As there's lots of ground to cover and sort of review before the enormous topic of sin that we jump into in verse 8. Uh, Pastor Roger did a fantastic job with this last week, uh, but I know I need a reminder at least. So 1 John 5 proclaimed, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God as light, as we heard, has many properties, including illumination and purification. However, a barrier to the light dwells in our heart as sin. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John declares that God existed before time, and that Jesus is the living Word of God. And we see Him in the words of the Bible. He made everything. Jesus is life eternal, and that is literally mankind's eternal life. The darkness of the broken, sinful world and the heart of darkness inside every one of us cannot be overcome by anything other than Jesus and the light of God. We see this further in John um, chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. The light of the world, as Jesus, is also God's love manifest on the cross. We need to submit and follow him to have eternal life which is what every person desires in their gut, I think, even if they won't necessarily admit it. The all-knowing Pharisees thought they could trick him, but Jesus did not play their game. Furthermore, in John chapter 12, verse 36, we read that while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Jesus implores his people to follow him, and believe in His saving power while we can see Him and know His presence in our life. This allows us to become sons of light, which is literally to become sons and daughters of God Himself. How incredible is it that the Creator of the universe calls us to Him to have relationship with Him? Charles Spurgeon put it this way, Out of all of our Savior's names, there is not one which rings with such sweet music as this blessed name, Jesus. I suppose the reason of this is that it answers to our own name, the name of Sinner. Continuing this theme, the Apostle Paul, himself no stranger to conversion from sinner to saved, 
wrote in Ephesians 5.8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We were darkness. Not only that we did dark things, but that we were darkness itself. But we can become light in the, world, in the Lord. We walk as children, which John will reiterate in today's text. Children are simple in a way, and trusting. And we need to be the same, despite what the world says about charting our own course. The fruit of the light is all that is good and right, and those things are found only in him. The Gospel of John also states in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The issue of Jesus' historicity has been settled in the last hundred years. Um, he walked the roads of Israel. An actual people saw Him and listened to Him. Some ignored him, some hated him, but he was literally God's glory, which is in itself a mind-altering concept. He was full of grace and truth, which no other human being can even fathom attempting, never mind actualizing. Uh, now I'm just going to jump ahead in 1 John a little bit to 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. So it says there, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Shining for him essentially involves love. Our brothers and sisters, mainly in Christ, but also those not in Christ, require loving. What does that mean? Sacrifice and selflessness. Just as Jesus displayed on the cross, we are commanded to be forgiving and merciful and gracious. If we think back to the earlier passage from Romans 7 that I read, where we constantly do what we don't want to do, and don't do what we want to. This seems like an impossible task. And it kind of is, unless we have Jesus. So to continue our little review, in 1 John chapter, or, uh, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, fellowship implies two people walking along together on a journey of some sort. Uh, for example, in Genesis 5.22, Enoch walked with God. And in fellowship, we must consider the character of the two people involved. In this case, we're talking about God and the individual. God is holy and perfect, and as we have heard, he is light, pure and refining. We also must consider the nature of ourselves in the fellowship. 
And we are obviously not perfect or holy or pure. There is tension in these verses since Jesus is holy and blameless, which means that we cannot be with him in the usual way of friendships. Uh, John is not calling for perfection. Walking in darkness means continuing to willfully sin in our our fleshly human nature. We cannot say that we have fellowship with God while we regularly disobey Him purposefully. I recall Pastor Leland uh, often mentioning that he was preaching to himself first. And I have to admit this, this is one of those verses that crystallizes that idea, for me at least. Um, I don't feel like I'm deliberately sinning at times, but this is kind of a terrifying phrase, if I'm honest. Uh, Just the very words, I don't think I'm deliberately sinning, grips me with dread because I feel proud and boastful to even suggest such a thing. And then my awareness that I'm being proud also feels like pride. It's a seemingly kind of inescapable spiral of personal failure of our admission. And sometimes it's best to not say anything and just let Scripture speak. So let's move on to verse 7. This is 1 John verse 7, chapter 1 still. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. As we saw many times above, we need to walk in the light. And our fellowship is with God and one another obviously other believers. First uh, John 1 states that which we have sorry that which we have seen and heard we pro- proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ. This leads us to the other very serious and perhaps difficult to comprehend part of verse 7 which is that we need to be cleansed by Jesus's blood to enter heaven. In Acts 4.12, we see that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Once again, uh, John here is not calling for perfection, but rather that we abide in Jesus, which we saw in chapter 2, which means to be loving and forgiving, especially to believers. And as we'll see shortly in verse 9, we overcome our imperfections, through confession. Now, as I was going through this, I mean, these verses are just absolutely loaded with the things of God. And uh, before we get to the giant topic of sin, um, a little more background. Uh, There are a few huge questions that every person in every culture and every time seems to have had. For example, where does everything come from? What's the purpose of life? And what happens after death? There's an incredible array of ideas about all of these things. And many of them are bizarre. In general, religions as a concept are either works-based or they're Christ-centered. And there's only one of those. The concept of the afterlife And what happens after a person dies is perhaps the biggest question of them all. 
Now, some of you may have heard a bit of our story recently in our 4-H video. And it was 21 years ago right now that uh, I and, and Tanya were contemplating eternity and Jesus' claims about how no one comes to the Father except through Him. Now really what this brings us to consider is our position relative to God. And it, it kind of goes like this. If there is a God, He has to be truthful. And Jesus said He is the way and the truth and the life. And He can't be God and lie about that at the same time. Therefore, what He says about all things must be true. Or He's a liar and they can't be. You may have read about this kind of logical approach from people like C.S. Lewis as he tried to find the loophole in the Bible to convince his friend Tolkien to question his faith. Or the formerly atheist author Lee Strobel outlined a similar story in The Case for Christ as he attempted to disprove his own wife's faith. And there are millions of others, including yours truly. Back in May of 2000, I had come to the place where God and the Holy Spirit had convinced me, despite my objections, that I did not want to be wrong about how to get into heaven. The biggest of questions. And a portion of what's known as the Roman road led me there. Romans 3.23 states that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now all means all. And the gift of eternal life through justification is a legal idea referring back to our position relative to God Himself. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's obedience to the many, sorry, as, one, as by the one man's obedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The entire world is groaning and broken due to the fall of Adam and Eve. But in God's economy, for 1,988 years now, the obedient sacrifice of Jesus on that cruel Roman cross has paid the price to lead His people to eternity in heaven. Furthermore, Romans 6.23 states that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every person that has ever been born or has died or will die, and the cause is sin. I did not want to let my misguided or ill-informed ideas about sin prevent me from living eternally. Of course, I must admit that He worked in me to bring me to that idea but that I am also prone to exhibiting the dire behavior warned about in Romans 7. 
Now these verses just absolutely challenged me and changed the course of my life. And I pray that they'll do the same for you. We see the general fall of man in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, tree, sorry, eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel shows the same behavior by humans. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. People simply are not allowed to establish the rules or the standards. They are what God says they are. And this leads us now into verse 8 and the so-called start of today's text. Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Sin is a seldom used word today outside of Bible believers. Over the last 20 years, uh, as a teacher, I'd say kind of anecdotally that the vast majority of my students never use that word or, or even know what it is. Um, I also heard a while back that idolatry is having any wrong beliefs or thoughts about God. And this comes directly from Deuteronomy, of course, of course, which declares you shall have no other gods before me. This does not just mean wooden idols and golden statues. Even wrong ideas about God or his word and ways are idolatry. When Pastor Leland first came here, he took some criticism for, quote, preaching too much about sin. And that to me seemed impossible. When I looked at the wreckage of my life as a whole, and then even day by day after Jesus saved me, I just felt and knew that sin is not what we do, but it's rather who we are. Jeremiah 17.9 proclaims that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Following our heart is the worst possible advice that we could take. Yet we hear that all of the time. Sin is our very basic, natural condition. Since the fall, it is the veil that separates us from God. And only the blood of Christ can remove the veil. Again, John is not calling for perfection, but rather for an honest appraisal on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Verse 8 is telling us to authentically and honestly acknowledge our position before the God of the universe. And our position is not good on our own. 
Uh, sin covers everything like as a concept that keeps us from God, which is why it's so devastating. The last 20 years or so has also seen the increase of the God is only love movement, which has also led to an explosion of self-entitlement and lack of accountability and encouragement to, quote, have it our way. This has also led to a seemingly increased epidemic of health, male health-related things and other behaviors. And we can't fix ourselves what only we can find in Him. There's nothing in us that can cure the sin barrier that we live under. A denial of sin through the promotion of self has always been our ruination. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. If the world did not constantly have a sin problem, we would have a utopia. Instead, we seem to have an ever-spiraling dystopia, and no amount of self-help or self-promotion seems to fix it. The problem in our world is not power imbalances or race or politics or gender identity or history or fill in the blank. It's sin. Always it's sin. Ever since the fall, we're in a broken world, poisoned by the veil of sin. Admitting that, followed by submission and obedience to God, is the only way out. Back in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, John said, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We are born into a selfish, shattered state. If you've ever looked after a toddler, or an eight-year-old, or a 51-year-old, you know that we're naturally selfish. Do you have to teach kids to be selfish? No. If we're born that way, then we must be born again, as Jesus said. Anyone that says, this is the way that I was born, or this is the way I am, and it conflicts with God's word in any way, and thinks that's okay, they're sinfully mistaken. God's design for our life is the only one that matters. His word is pretty clear on his standards, and that they're for our good. The wreckage of this world is evidence that we need more of Him, not less. We, we cannot give birth to ourselves to be born again. Only the Holy Spirit working in us can cause us to be born again. Now, as I said previously, we are not allowed to write the rules. And Revelation 22:18 enforces this when it declares the words of the Word of God Himself. And I quote, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. We are not to edit or alter God's word. The church today, especially in North America, is at a crossroads as the forces of the world attempt to make us believe that the Word of God is somehow outdated or antiquated. Don't buy that lie. It's the same one that Adam and Eve fell for in the garden. 
God's Word is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Continuing in verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This involves being aware that we need to confess because we cannot clear the account ourselves. It might seem scary or intimidating at first, but it is incredibly liberating to know that it is not up to us. We must acknowledge our sin, plain and simple. How many people have, quote, read in their ledger and want to have the accounts cleared? There is a huge issue in our lives and the world of people being ashamed and embarrassed of all kinds of things. Often this is disguised through pride. Jesus cleanses us and washes that away. I cannot imagine anyone not desiring to be clean. If there is a God, which there is, then this would be the most important confession of them all. Obviously, we want to confess to other people, but also for many of us, learning that we have a direct line to the creator of the universe and that he loves us so much that he wants to hear from us personally is a life and eternity altering event. Numbers 14.18 tells us that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Continuing in verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. As we heard previously, God is truth, and Jesus is the truth. Making him a liar is therefore impossible. So it seems that trying to say that we have not sinned, or don't keep on sinning, is also impossible. We might not like the word sin, or that we are sinners, But our opinion doesn't really matter on this issue. Uh, Recently, I was discussing the seven deadly sins. um, Anger, envy, sloth, gluttony, pride, lust, and greed. uh, With my class in a lesson on the church in the medieval ages. Sorry, middle ages. And interestingly... Although the vast majority of the class said they'd never hear the word sin in their daily lives, when we talked about those seven things, they also agreed that those seven sins continue to have a terrible impact on our society today. I believe that we're wired to know God's ways, but we obviously need His help to act accordingly because as as Isaiah 55.8 declares, My thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So to begin chapter 2 of 1 John, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now John wrote these things with the tone of love. It's like fatherly advice to his beloved offspring. It is not condescension, but elevation that he seeks. John may also have been concerned about false teachers and heretics stealing the hearts of Jesus' followers. We should be concerned today also as our culture continues to encroach on the church as a whole. 
Uh, he wrote those words 1,900 years ago so that we can read them today and so that those same truths can set us free. He simply expects a steady progression towards the cross. This, this does not mean that the church needs to be progressive and change to suit the times. People today want real answers, and God's timeless word is the place to find them. My favorite verse, as you've heard, is Matthew 7, 13, and 14, which tells us to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Resisting sin is not easy, but very worth it. But if anyone does see sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not if we sin, but when we sin. First we're justified, then we're sanctified over time. We must humbly admit on a day-to-day basis, almost minute-to-minute basis, that we sin against God just by the very nature of who we are. An advocate is almost like a defense attorney or mediator that acts on your behalf and my behalf. How powerful is it to know that Jesus, if he is who he says he is, acts on our behalf in God's courtroom? Uh, God himself hears our case with the only perfect and righteous person in history by our side. In our natural condition of sinfulness, We cannot be righteous, which prevents us from being in God's presence. Only Jesus can make us righteous in terms of our standing, as 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Correspondingly, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it's so worth it. Think of the now famous people in Scripture that trusted Jesus to save them. There was the leper, the centurion, the men with demons, the paralytic, the woman and her daughter, the blind man, the mute man, the Canaanite woman, the boy with a demon, Mary, the prostitute, the thief on the cross, and on and on. All of us cry out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In 1 John 2, verse 2, we read, He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, helasmos is the Greek word that means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. Jesus himself is the sacrifice. Think of every shameful action, misdeed, hard-hearted word, impure thought, inappropriate behavior, regretful omission of yours and mine, and know that it's been paid for in full by Jesus taking the punishment for you. If that's not the most incredible thing in all of history, I don't know what is. Jesus answers to us like he did to the thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Verse, verse 2 continues with, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now to be clear, John does not mean that every person will be saved. Second Peter said that God does not wish that any person should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But that verse means he desires all would be saved, but that does not mean that all will be saved. God's gift is available to whomever would repent and receive. The blood of Jesus wipes away the sins of all of God's children, which is amazing. Of course, this idea of who gets saved is one of the great mysteries of our faith and would be a whole other series, and uh, I'm, I'm almost out of time. So, uh, to, to wrap it up, the other day, uh, Tanya and the girls and I were pulling weeds in our garden, and it, it was terrible. We should have got on it earlier, but we didn't, and it was awful. And it reminded me of the content of this text. Uh, we can pull the weeds and till the soil and make it look great, but we all know that it's only temporary. We must be diligent and dedicated to keep that garden not only looking good, but so that the plants that we want can thrive. Our lives are the same. We have to deal with our sin regularly and be obedient to Jesus or we'll have a mess like our garden. Uh, the Puritan Matthew Henry proclaimed that to the wicked man, death is the end of all joys. To a godly man, it is the end of all griefs. Let's close with a verse from Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you did thousands of years ago. I thank you for continuing to do those things in the lives of people today. You're the same then as you are now and you will be forever. It's just amazing that you work in individual people's lives in such an incredible, powerful way. So I thank you, God, for this time and I pray that your word will stick with people and that we'll reflect on those things and concepts as we now um, respond to you through song. In Jesus' name, amen.